I love chapter 9 of the book of Acts for many reasons. One, it's the start of the curriculum I taught to 11th graders in three different Christian high schools for 15 years. And even though I have a general ick feeling about Christian high school, my classroom is still a positive memory. Second, it's a pivot point in both the book, but also in the Ecclesia of Jesus. Historian Kenneth Scott Latourette calls the event in this chapter one of the most significant events in the history of Christianity. Welcome to Anakinosis, where we renew our minds towards biblical worldview in the scriptures. This is a show for anyone looking to build or repair their biblical worldview. Whether you're 100% comfortable in the current Christian culture, or you feel like an outsider looking in, everyone is welcome. My name is Jeremy Egan. I'm just a guy with a Bible literacy background who has ASD and who thinks a lot about how to think. Today, Saul will see the light. Saul is a young 20-something Pharisee, the religious zealot kind, a pupil of the great Gamaliel, and passionate about ridding the world of false gods, Jesus being top of mind for false gods. A Jesus he likely had an opportunity to hear in person and likely shouted along with the crowds to kill. He now has legal permission from the Sanhedrin to round up the followers of Jesus and try to put a stop to their perceived lie. This is the opposite position of his teacher who said that they should tolerate it and that if it isn't from God, it would just fade away. So they have parted ways on this subject. We begin in Acts 9, starting in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As Saul struck the ecclesia, they fled, and as they fled, they spread, and as they spread, so did the message he was trying to silence. Now he has to go way out of his way to hunt them down. Damascus to Jerusalem on a modern highway will take you four and a half hours to drive. If you walked on that same highway, it would take you 56 hours. In Paul's day, with the roads and dangers of his time, it would take six or seven days. This is way out of the way. He is seeing red. Can you feel that? So he heads out to hunt in one of the oldest cities in world history in Syria, north of Israel. Historians date it to over 10,000 years old. Bible readers know that it's at least Genesis years old. And Saul almost makes it there. Chapter 9, verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Wait, so who's in the light? It's Jesus? Now, Saul can't see anyone. He can't see anything anymore. But he heard someone say they were Jesus, which is incredible. The risen and ascended Lord is speaking to a single human on planet Earth just outside the walls of Damascus. 
Jesus left this dimension two to three years earlier, but here he breaks through. Maybe this is a rift in time and space. This must be a big deal. Is Jesus trying to stop this guy from killing his people? I mean, maybe, but he could do that in less elaborate ways. He could give everyone a day's heads up when Saul was approaching, for example. Or he could give one of the apostles an X-Men gift, like Blink, and she could make portals and they could just depart. No, this is personal. Jesus rips through time and space to confront Saul. I think he liked him. I mean, how can you not like a guy who's zealous to protect you, even if very, very misguided? I mean, it can be really hard for us. I can think of some MAGA Christians specifically who have their heart set on honoring God, but wow, you know, what's going on there? But Jesus is better than us, and I think he still liked him. He definitely believed in him. Jesus asked Saul, why is he persecuting him? Which Saul rightly asked the apparently disembodied voice, who are you, Lord? But using Lord there indicates he felt like he was hearing from Yahweh. And Jesus tells him, He's Jesus. The implication is that what had occurred persecution-wise to the portable little temples of Jesus had happened to Jesus. Saul is brought low. He falls to the ground and Jesus gives him a command to enter the city and wait to be obedient. This is a one-on-one conversation, but it's heard by his traveling companions, but they don't see anyone or anything and they're not blinded. And so they help him follow the command and they take him into the city. Now, can you imagine the fear in the city? They don't know what happened on the road. They don't know Jesus interfered and changed human history. They just know when Saul appears, followers of Jesus disappear. He's been the harbinger of death, the villain of the story. Meanwhile, the blindness is not very temporary. It sticks with Saul. He can't see anything. And while this is a serious situation, think about the grace Jesus is showing Saul because he could have hit him harder. During the days of blindness, Saul doesn't eat or drink, which is Luke's way of telling us that Saul was fasting. Something religious Jews would do to demonstrate repentance or an earnest seeking of Yahweh's will. In the case of young Saul, he's likely desperately looking for both, replacing his meals with prayer on top of his daily prayers. And he does receive a divine vision that someone will heal him. What a grace. Then Luke introduces us to a follower of Jesus in town named Ananias, who's the to-be healer. Now, I know the dead guy earlier in the book was also Ananias, and so it's confusing, but this is a different Ananias. And I would imagine that upon hearing of Saul's proximity, his goal for the day might have been to just not get arrested by Saul. He's going to hear directly from Jesus as well, but without a blinding light. Verse 10, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So unlike the last Ananias, this Ananias is a role model for us. 
Number one, when the Lord calls him, he answers, here I am, which is availability. Second, he feels comfortable in his relationship with God to face the real problems and to be honest. And this is a new relationship with with Yahweh. At some point, no longer than three years earlier, he had trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins and the Holy Spirit had indwelled him. But he faces the problem at hand, doing anything positive to Saul when Saul was by all known measures a horrible man, a wild beast, and an enemy of God. Doing something positive for Saul is just not something Ananias is excited about. Totally fair. Maybe Saul's even killed one of Ananias' loved ones already. Helping Saul feels like the opposite of a good plan, but he trusts Jesus more. He trusts Jesus knows what he's doing, and if Jesus wants to use Saul as an instrument, then let's go. So he measures his doubts and fears with Jesus' goodness and sovereignty, and he boldly, courageously chooses to obey. I like that Jesus lets him see behind the scenes. He doesn't always give us that. You can almost hear him say, Ananias, you know how I made you new? I'm going to do that with Saul too. You can't imagine what Saul is going to be like now. And don't worry, I, I will pardon his sins against me, but there will be suffering in my name as you have experienced. Meanwhile, Saul is sitting and praying to Yahweh. He loves Yahweh and Yahweh loves him, but they've been on very different pages. Yahweh's doing something new through Jesus and Saul has been trying to protect Yahweh's people from it. And somewhere in the praying, Saul and Yahweh connect and Saul is changed and ready for a new trajectory. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Notice it's not an apostle bestowing the Holy Spirit this time. It's a regular disciple. And with his hands, he bestows on his brother in Jesus the promised Holy Spirit that indwells and regenerates people. Boom. New trajectory. Grace, followed by faith, followed by the Spirit and healing, followed by baptism and food. Now, there was a bit of a delay there on the Holy Spirit, so the score is three to two in favor of the delay being normal. So, what has happened to Saul? He's been set free from evil, sin, and death that he was enslaved to. He had been using death to play what he saw as Yahweh's justice on the followers of Jesus. Now, he has a different perspective on Jesus as well. A new worldview. He's still young, he's still flawed, he still has anger, he's still kind of a beast, but he's now a little portable temple of Yahweh's spirit too. He's one with Jesus, immune to the long-term effects of evil, sin, and death, but not immune to pain and suffering in Jesus' name. So now what will Saul choose? Well, the ethic we'll see his life take that replaces his ethic of death is that of suffering love. And that's not something he does to become acceptable to Jesus. He was found by Jesus on the road when he was wholly unacceptable. We'll see a change in him because of Jesus. Saul was once blind, but now he can see that's physical and spiritual. He was once dead in his sins, but now he's alive in Christ, new and holy. 
But why would God pick someone like Saul to be an apostle for him? Just a diversity pick? The epic testimony? His educational background? Or did he just know Saul would be faithful to the hardest mission you can imagine? Please do not hear me say that he picked Saul for salvation because he knew he would be faithful. But he picked him as an apostle, a special office selected by Jesus. As we continue to build our biblical worldview, we want to think about what in our minds needs renewed. There is an underappreciated amount of unified ecclesia language that applies to all of us in our relationship with Jesus. In, in my tradition, it was very underappreciated. Everything was individual. However, Jesus is also very personal, willing to cut through space and time to talk, love, and command individual people. He individually spoke to Saul. He individually spoke to Ananias. Ironically, the tradition I grew up in that was huge into the personal relationship with Jesus language didn't want that relationship to be too personal. They didn't want us to actually hear from him or depend on anything that was said outside of the Bible. But I think we can, I think we do, and I think he loves it that way. The Bible is wonderful. It gives us things to read and meditate and return to. It grounds us. It centers us. It's the story of Yahweh's unfailing love. We need it desperately. But we aren't saved by that book, and that book cannot have a relationship with us. Jesus does. Lean into him. Thank you for listening. Anakinosis is a project for anyone anywhere who's looking to renew their biblical worldview. Next time, Saul introduces himself to Damascus in a surprising way.